had this experience, but I, there was a time in my life where I, uh, I, had, I looked at my task list. I had a task list, a task manager. I don't know. You know, it's like a classic old, old to-do list. Uh, a lot of us have make to-do lists. But uh, task manager is a fancy tool. Not, well, it's not even fancy anymore, but it's a, it was a fancy tool for a while that people used because it would store your tasks and it would carry them over from week to week and month to month, and you could categorize them and prioritize them and flag them. And really smart task managers would even like notify you when you get in the right space to do your task. You know, if you're at home, it says, oh, bing, you can do these home tasks. And at work, you can do bing, you can do the work tasks, you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, I had, a, I had a task manager I was using for a while. I had like 700 tasks in it. Now, that was, that was not all like one day I sat down and filled my task manager up, but I just, I was in a stage of life I could think of a zillion things to do, and, and I, so I just did. I wrote down all the things I was thinking of everywhere I went. Um, I, 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 you could, I never got them all done. <laughs> there was one day where I finally said it and served everyone, I have like 700 tasks to do, and everybody's like, what? And, and uh, they just kind of stared at me like, duh, that's stupid. Um, and, and, I, and I deleted it all and started over. Well, but you can be sure that I didn't feel at all like I had the, the strength, the power that I needed in my life to get all those things done. I know that's a, a common feeling, that we, we just don't have the, the strength, have the, the power that we need to, to accomplish good work, to get work done. Now, it, it comes out in different ways for different people, uh, and sometimes it looks more like this, that is, uh, so there was a doctor who had completed her residency in psychiatry. She was then working in a New York hospital, and she was friends with a doctor who was a few years ahead of her. She was pregnant then for the second time. And, and she told, this older doctor told the younger doctor, do you know what I love about being pregnant? And the older doctor said to her, uh, and she said, I love being pregnant because it's the only time where I feel productive all the time. Even when I'm sleeping, I'm doing something. Wow, huh? That's her, her view of, of work in life. She is so committed to, to getting work done uh, that she, you know, she says, I don't even have the, the strength, the power, whatever you want to say, to get work done all the rest of the time, and I'm really glad that I can be pregnant. Well, it, the, uh, her, her young doctor friend was really struck by the fact that she was so, uh, so committed to productivity, that she based so much of her self-worth or self-regard on productivity that she was relieved uh, to be able to work incessantly. That sounds a little ridiculous, but I know that many of us, many of us want to either A, work in incessantly or B, just deplore and despair over the fact that we don't have the strength, the ability, the power that we need to, to get all of the work done that we want to get done. We feel drained, we feel weak, we feel empty, we feel in pain, we feel hopeless uh, about getting all of these things done. And maybe like the doctor, we catch glimpses every now and then of the hope that, we, that there could be uh, actually having the power to get the things done in life, right? Uh, we catch this glimpse that says, oh, I, I could actually have the strength to get done what I want to get done. And, and for me, it, you know, I, I felt that a little bit the last few weeks. I think it's coming off of vacation because I have more clarity about what to do and what not to do. And so I can write down the tasks. And I looked at, uh, I look at my list at the end of the day and I said, I got everything done. You know, that happens like what, once or twice out of 365 days in a year. It's an incredible feeling. Uh, 
that is the promise that God has a little bit for you and I today, that we would actually have the power to get the things done, to get the work done that he has given to us. We've taken a look over the last few weeks at the work, the story of work that the Bible gives us, and first we've just heard the new story of God, the story of work. It's we get called to work, and that leads to work. We get called by God, and that leads to our work. That's the story of work. And then we have the, the partner in our work. We partner with, we work with Jesus, and that's what makes our work meaningful. Uh, then we have the people of our work. We work for ourselves, for our friends, family, for society as a whole, right? And when we have those people, then we know what we're doing with our work. The last thing is, is the power of our work. And I think to some extent, if you've already got a story for your work, you've got a partner with your work, uh, and you've got people for whom you work, you will have power for your work. Uh, you've got the key ingredients. But today, God says here, let's particularly look at the power to get this work done. Now, Jesus does not provide, uh, and he, oh, by the way, Jesus, we're going to take a look at two aspects of it, both the physical strength or the physical power, and then the spiritual strength, or the phys- spiritual power. Uh, Jesus doesn't provide any particularly like, great insights when it comes to uh, physical power. He goes back to, to the basics. Uh, there's no special diet for you workout dudes out there. You know, there's no special workout, which is too bad, right? It would be awesome if we could have a biblical workout. It'd be like the best. This is the workout to have. Uh, and and there's, no, there's no special... Um, vitamins or other things to have a healthy, have, have a healthy life. Not that any of those things are, are bad. Uh, you take the example of Daniel in the Bible, and Daniel is specifically chosen to be in the king's service because of his diet and his, his training regimen. That's what got him into the position that he had. Jesus goes with something more basic, and you can hear it in this verse. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up He left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He got up, which means he had been asleep. He prayed, and then in between there, he went to this solitary place. He he rested. He took some time away from work all for himself. Those three things, sleep, prayer, rest. Those are the basic ingredients of powerful work. And I think there's a sentiment out there, especially uh, about young people that, that says, you know, young people are perhaps a little bit uh, lazy already. They don't need more sleep and more rest. They, they already get enough of that. Uh, and, and so I've always appreciated those of you who say, Pastor, I'm not really sure what's going on or what you're all up to around here, but you sure seem to work a lot. So uh, thank you for those of you who, who tell me that. It makes me feel better that I'm not resting my life away. But I, I want Christians, and, and God, I think, would want us to lead with the conviction that he has here, to lead with this conviction. What's this conviction? Um, In America right now, overwork and exhaustion is the group norm. It's getting a little better, but Brenda Yank back in uh, from Run Hard, Rest Well a few years back said group norm is overload and exhaustion. So if you're a person who rests well, that's going to seem very countercultural. That's going to seem radical, but it also says you will probably work more effectively. You'll be, uh, uh, actually be able to work well. Uh, and so if you're saying to me, pastor, this doesn't really seem that spiritual, you know, we usually, we usually deal with spiritual things here. This is, this is biblical. This is 
a good, sound biblical practice for good work. Uh, let's get, let's get a, some specific example of it, right? For example, Greg McCohen in his book, Essentialism, I've been reading this lately, he gives specific practices to do the things that are essential in life. And he says, one of the basics, sleep. Uh, the, the vast majority of data says that vast majority of people need eight hours of sleep to function well in life. If you think you can function well without eight hours of sleep, the odds are that you've just gotten used to functioning without it, not that you're actually uh, one of those rare people who doesn't need it. That's the vast majority uh, of people. Similarly, prayer. James says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I'm quite certain that more things get done in my life through prayer than through any other work that I do. I can't tell you how many problems have been solved through prayer. Uh, and so let's, let's address the last one, rest. God says, rest. Um, I don't know how you can pray well if you don't rest well. God made the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. He put that rhythm into creation. Uh, if you are working all seven days of, of the week, uh, if you don't have some restorative resting activity, then you are, you're violating the order of, of creation, the rhythm of creation. It's, it's no wonder then that we bring chaos and disorder into our lives. So here's the, the first thing, the first point we can take away today, that powerful work comes in part from sleep and prayer and rest. Powerful work comes in part from sleep and prayer and rest. If Jesus rested and prayed, then certainly you and I will need to as well. That's the physical side of work, right? The physical side. I think if we have to ask ourselves, okay, so then if that's all true, why don't we sleep and pray and rest? Why do we work incessantly? Why is, group, why is the group norm exhaustion and overload? And, and yes, I know some will say, well, there's still plenty of lazy kids who sleep all day long. They don't need more sleep. Um, but that's not the norm. Why is the norm that exhaustion and overload? And I think Jesus gives us some of the answer here. Uh, after he rests, Jesus comes to a man who has a skin disease. The infected man says to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus has this gut, visceral reaction to the man. Some of your Bibles will say he was indignant. Um, and some of the older Bibles you might have would say he was filled with compassion. And the thing is, is, the reason there seems to be two words there is because uh, it, it seems some people basically heard the story as Jesus was having, filled with compassion. Other people heard it as he was indignant. The point is, is that he had this huge gut reaction to the man, right? He saw this guy uh, on the side of the road who has an, an awful skin disease, and, and he's not repulsed. He's not, uh, um, he's not disgusted by the sight. Instead, he has just this enormous sense of an internal, right, a gut reaction to the guy. So let's dig into that a little bit. Certainly the man um, experienced great physical pain. We don't know if it was quite leprosy like we have today. He had a skin disease of some kind, of some sort. Uh, it may have been much worse. What we know for sure is that he was excluded. He, he experienced exclusion. Remember, the ancient world was very collective, very, very social society. And, and I wonder if you can imagine how, how, this would have, how bad this would have been for him. Right? Without society, 
He had no sense of identity. Can you imagine walking through life not knowing who you are? Not knowing that you're a, 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 a man who lives in the, the 21st century and that you have these skills. And, I mean, can you not, or a woman who lives, you know, in the 20, right? Can you imagine not knowing any of those things about yourself? Not having a sense of what that means in the world? Um, or without friends and family. Without friends and family, he had no sense of belonging. He didn't know where he fit. He didn't know who he belonged to. Without a, a place in society, he had no purpose in life. He had no role to carry out. This guy, he experienced incredible, uh, great physical and emotional pain. And it robbed him of the power to work. Jesus is letting us in on something. When I, when I see this man, I think of a man named Nick Vujicic. Vujicic. Have you ever seen this guy before? Nick Vujicic, he was born without uh, arms and legs. He has tetraamelia syndrome. Uh, it means he was born without arms and legs. And when he was 10, he became depressed. He was bullied. Uh, he, he couldn't do anything. He was excluded from all of the groups. He, uh, he was so alone that he wanted to commit suicide. He just wanted somebody to, to be like him, to be with him. Uh, a few years back, there was a baby born named Daniel. And Daniel was born just like he was without arms and legs. And what you have to know about Nick is that since... Since, ten, since he was 10, uh, he's experienced incredible change in his life. Um, he professed faith. He found his Savior, Jesus. And he has, his, all kinds of things have changed uh, in his life. And so he, when Daniel was born, he said, I did not get my miracle. Right? Not getting my miracle because I prayed many times in life for arms and legs. Not getting my miracle. I can be a miracle to Daniel, an older brother of Daniel, his whole life to encourage him. And I, I realize, you know, as much as Nick wants to be Daniel's older brother, what Nick can never do is Nick can never take away Daniel's pain. Daniel will still have to experience all of that same loneliness and, and everything else. And yet you and I, we have a, a true older brother, we have an older brother who can't, doesn't just see our pain, but he feels the pain himself. What's the point of, of Mark, of Jesus saying he was, he was filled with compassion or he was indignant? It, it's, it's saying Jesus saw the pain that you and I and this leper, this man with this skin disease are in, and he... He had such a reaction, he actually took the man's pain on himself. He wasn't repulsed, he wasn't disgusted by the sight. He felt what the man was going through himself. He took the man's pain away. You know, if you go all of a sudden, you think about this, this man, if you claim Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then you've got to say, this man has taken away my pain. I can see it in his face. I can see it on the cross. I can see that the sin that was mine is now on him, and he has experienced that incredible anguish for me. I ask you the question, why? Why, if, if we know that um, sleep and prayer and rest lead to good work, why do we keep on working? Why do we just keep working as if, as if we have no sense 
or as if we, we have something to prove to everybody. Isn't it that we just, we're not realizing, we're not seeing just how much Jesus has taken away our pain? Isn't it as if we just have to keep saying to ourselves and to the world, I need to keep proving that somehow everything is okay, that I can fix my problems and I can fix your problems? And why can't we just say, He's my miracle. That's my miracle. He has taken my pain. He's felt that anguish. He's felt that compassion and that indignation. And he has, he has not just taken it to the cross, but he has taken that pain on himself and taken it away. That's the thing that God would have you and I see today, that God takes that pain and he, he turns it into power. Right? God turns the pain into power to work. And I want you to notice then something as we as we close here, right? So it, the man says to Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Um, you know, I, my kids, they never say to me, oh, Dad, if you're willing to, they always say, Dad, do this for me right now. Hurry up. Faster, Dad. Don't your kids do that to you? Your kids ever come play? Oh, if you're willing. Um, this is a man who has learned to live with his incredible pain. And I, I don't know exactly all the pain that all of you are going through. I know some of you and some of the pain that you're going through, the physical pain. Uh, I don't know all of the, the loneliness or the isolation and the abandonment. I don't know the, the shame. I don't know how much you even feel like you just aren't a normal person. I know that God won't always take away every step of that pain, every bit of that pain. But you can know without a doubt that he has taken away all that that pain means. He's taken away the, the truth that you don't have a place to belong, that you don't have a purpose in your life, and that you don't have a sense of your identity. He's taken away the death that comes at the end of that pain, all so that you can say, I have a name, I have a child of God. And that's takes your pain and is power to work. That turns your pain into power to work. And let's pray for that. Lord, we, we live in a, a, a world full of, of a lot of pain, both physical and emotional. And I think we can all see that from so many of the, the side effects that have, go, have happened from the opioid and debt epidemic and, and so many other terrible things that we experience. And that's pain that we oftentimes try to live out of to prove to, to somebody, I don't know, ourselves or the world, that we're good enough, that we're worth something, that we fit in, that we belong, and that we have a purpose in life. And Lord, we ask that you would take away uh, so much of this pain. Take it away by, by your son's death on the cross and his life. Take it away by us seeing that he has felt the pain in our place so that we can have a place where we belong and we can live then as your, your sons, your daughters. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.